everyone, and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we have our definitive number one. And who's we? Well, I'm your host, Andrew, and today I'm joined by Rob. Hello. Mick. Hello. And depending on how well the edit goes, Mick's very noisy fan. (laughs) Yes. So, how are we doing today, guys? Um, I'm okay. Uh, I, I'm just marvelling at how aggressively uh, Mick's being attacked by his fan. No, it's me attacking the fan, rather than the other way around. I, I mean, it's October, isn't it? So we can maybe <laughs> do something like it's a spooky... Ooh, is it... Is it Leatherface behind Mick with the chainsaw? That that works, doesn't it? There we go. I mean, it is l- that there's perhaps a ghost in my machine. I am indeed. I mean, if Leatherface's chainsaw sound like sounded like that, I don't think that movie would be as scary. <laughs> Leatherface has managed to fit a silencer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want the very finest chainsaw you have, but it has to be under 22 decibels maximum. (laughs) I have an elderly neighbour and they always complain. (laughs) (laughs) They don't mind the blood spatter, it's the noise that they can't (laughs) Anyway, that's all great, but now it's time to get alien attack! Great. But now it's time to... Ah! Explosion! Great. But now it's time to... Ooh! Watch out for the truck! Great. But now it's time to strap on our mech suit and punch some tentacles as we behold Edge of Tomorrow. Also known as shampoo, rinse and repeat. Sorry. Live, die, repeat. It is indeed. Yeah, this is the 2014 film. Directed by Doug Lyman and based on the light novel by Haruki uh, Sakurazaka, uh, which that brings us on to today's back matter, which starts with me going, Whoops a daisy, I did a little mistake. Okay. Because light novels. Yeah. Manga. No, they're not. They are in But fact, there was a manga version of it done. Yeah. There was indeed, and but I also checked and the manga version came out around about the same time as the film. But bearing in mind that it's a light novel stroke manga stroke film that involves time loops. Yep. We've just provided you with a get out of jail clause, which of course you can use over and over again every time you die. I mean, that seems a bit excessive just so I can go back and say put a disclaimer before we start the show that actually it's a, a light novel but a manga also they're, they're pretty well, much that's like related aren't they well uh, I, I can give you a little bit of background on that side of things um the light novel uh was the first one as you as you so correctly said the manga came out uh, originally in around January of 2014 and I think the movie came out in May and they'd already started production on the movie based on the light novel. One of the reasons why they went ahead and did the manga was basically to help with storyboarding for the movie. 
so that they'd have like a visual reference as to how the uh, the creator of the story actually thought of the look of the mechs and things like that, which is where some of the mech designs came from in the movie. Oh, well, so, so in essence, what you're saying is it's actually the other completely flip-flopped that we're now talking about a film possibly even more heavily based on the manga than like anything based on a comic or manga we've done so far. Well, it, it is and it isn't because in the manga, you know, the, the characters are very manga-esque and Tom Cruise definitely isn't. Yes, Tom Cruise is definitely not playing Japanese teenager Keiji Kiriya, Kiriya is he? Yeah. No, he's not. I, I assume they're saving that for the sequel where Scarlett Johansson's going to play him. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> but surprise, it was the Black Widow all the time. <laughs> she got, that's, that's a whole new level, isn't it? <coughs> Scarlett Johansson, actress who can play anything, be it a tree or a person of a completely different race, is actually really the Black Widow all along. I'm glad you finished that sentence that way, because I was going to be really upset if you said was really Tom Cruise all along. <laughs> I mean, it is Tom Cruise, isn't it? I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, yeah, I, uh, this is, uh, the, the essence of this whole thing, though, is it's a very bleak, dystopian Groundhog Day, isn't it? If Bill, if Bill Murray, what this movie actually needed was a good, healthy dose of Bill Murray. Yeah, I don't think he'd have been able to um, sell the uh, the action sequences. Not at the age he was by the time two two thousand and fourteen rolled around. He could have well, just it is, it, yeah. It, it is effectively GI Joe Groundhog Day, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. And just before we move on, I will just point out just because I like to be precise about these things. The manga adaptation, which is the one I have read, was written by Ryosuke uh, Takeuchi and illustrated by Takeshi Obata. And I like it a lot. Yep. But we are not here to talk about a manga. We're here to talk about a film. So shall I uh, do the synopsis? Go for it. Yes. Uh, okay. And as always, this does contain a... Uh, spoilers in this and the discussion following so if you don't want to hear them um don't stop the keep the episode playing because we need the listens but i don't know just stick it on mute so an indeterminate time in the future an alien race known as the mimics invade earth and are able to conquer most of mainland europe the remaining countries of the world band together to form the united defense force and eventually are able to start fighting back against the Mimics with the help of powered exoskeletons. On the eve of Operation Downfall, the UDF's big push to take back France, Major William Cage, played by Tom Cruise, of Army Media Relations, is asked to cover the attack by General Brigham, played by Brendan Gleeson. Cage, being just a cowardly weasel of a man, refuses and tries to blackmail Bingham into... in to uh, get out of it. But Brigham promptly responds by having Cage arrested and tased into unconsciousness. When Cage next awakens, he finds himself at Heathrow Airport, demoted to private, and now expected to fight in the front line against the Mimics as part of J-Squad, 
led by Master Sergeant Farrell, played by Bill Paxton, in what I think was maybe his last film role. And also in a way that only Bill Paxton could play it. He's incredibly Bill Paxton. Yep. (laughs) So, it's like somehow he knew and just channeled every ounce of his Bill Paxton-ness into this one perfect Bill Paxton. (laughs) Yeah. So... On the day of the invasion, uh, things go horribly wrong and the entire invasion force is ambushed by the mimics. Almost like they knew the attack was coming. Dun, dun, dun. After watching all of J-Squad get slaughtered, Cage is attacked by an especially large glowing blue mimic and in a final act of defiance, he detonates a claymore, killing the mimic, but also himself as he gets covered in the alien's acidic blood. The end. But not quite. Cage then wakes up again at Heathrow and finds himself now living the same day over and over, restarting it every time he dies. After several loops, Cage eventually meets Vita Veratsky, Emily Blunt, a legendary soldier with the UDA, for uh, how she seemingly instantly took to using a mech suit. Unlike everyone else, Vita seems to believe Cage but he tells her that he's lived uh, this day before and tells him to come find her in the next loop. So, the previous day, Cage goes to find Rita and she explains what's going on. And here we go. So the mimic Cage killed was an alpha, an alien with the ability to reset time when it dies. Hence why the mimics uh, know all about the attacks in advance. However, by... sort of transfusing blood with it, you know, when all the Alpha's blood melted Cage's face. Um, Cage gained the Alpha's ability to rewind time, and that's why he's stuck in the time loop. And Rita knows this because she also used to have the same ability, which is why she can use a mech suit like she's fought in it for years. Because technically she has. So Rita takes Cage to her mechanic and former physicist, Dr. Carter, played by Noah Taylor, who uh, explains that the aliens are basically a single entity controlled by the Omega, which is kind of their central brain nodule. And if they can kill the Omega, then the mimics will lose the ability to reset time. However, to do so, Cage must live through loop after loop, desperately trying to find a way for him and Rita to escape the battle, find the Omega, and end the war once and for all. And yeah, that's Edge of Tomorrow. Yep. Live, die, rinse, repeat. Live, die, rinse, repeat. I mean, you make it sound so much more exciting than it is. I would say say part of this film is exciting. I think... Yeah. My main thing with this film is it definitely felt a bit like diminishing returns. Where yeah. just the longer the film went on, the less I was into it. Oh, yeah. I, I think part of the reason for that was they basically removed the threat of death. You know, once you get rid of that, then you know, then that whole you know part that whole bit about you know fighting a war and stuff like that, that all becomes pointless because he's effectively immortal for, like, 99% of the film. 
See, I'm, I'm not sure I'd agree. Because I would say my main thing with that is there still kind of is stakes in that, like, Tom Cruise is stuck yeah. in this loop. Yeah. Yeah, and there's the fate of humanity. That's your stakes. Yeah, but, I mean, that's all distant re- distantly removed because the action's solely on, like, him. That's true. And uh, what what annoys me with it, really... I mean, I've got some aesthetic issues with it as well, which leads me to be interested in your comments in, in the earlier, when you did the back matter section. I'm sure that's the first time you've called it that. It um, is. <laughs> yeah, but maybe this was the, this one of where I was called it in my notes, but maybe this is the first time I felt confident enough to say the word back matter. Yeah, don't do it again. Um, so... <laughs> See, it just reminds uh, we've got back matter in Tom Cruise, and I'm just thinking of the role he played in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, what are we doing? We're making, we're dancing around these jokes when there's a specific character in this film who goes into battle completely, literally butt naked. Yep. Yes. There's your back matter. With all his mech suit to hide his modesty. Um. Yeah. I'd, I think my main problem with this is that the time loop element of it for probably the entire first half of the movie is based around the little bit of humour you can get around his action, uh, his interactions with J-Squad and yeah. the sergeant. Yeah. And slightly expanding those gags each time. And... I'll be honest, I drifted off a couple of times. And there's also the uh, the dark humour about his training with Emily Blunt as well, where he keeps getting hit by those whirly robot things. Yeah. Yeah, I'll admit that, that I feel like is one of the main jokes I liked, is just this idea of Emily Blunt going, oh, what's that, you broke your leg training. Ah, well, just better put you down like a horse. Yeah. And but even then, the times where he was desperately trying to crawl, crawl away, going, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah. But again, diminishing returns, because after the first couple of times you've seen that joke, it becomes kind of stale. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think it's... It's where you can clearly tell that the light novel and the manga, they're like, they're not particularly long. And so yeah. they're just long enough for the idea of oh, it's about this guy who keeps repeating the same thing over and over and each time he's getting a little bit better. Like, it's just long enough for that to work, but spread across an entire two-hour film, it's just, it does wear out its welcome fairly Yeah, that was one of my problems with the film is that uh, they they focused a lot... the only other film I can really compare it to is Groundhog Day. Um, that is in my memory. And if I remember Groundhog Day correctly, they didn't dwell too much on the fact that he kept repeating the same day. They had like a montage of the way, different ways he was trying to kill himself after yeah. the first couple of times. you know. And then, then you get to that scene where he's trying to explain to Andy McDowell the fact that he keeps living the same day over and over again. And I was, I, I wanted that, I wanted Edge of Tomorrow to have something like that instead of having so many different scenes of Tom Cruise dying in different ways, which, you know, becomes dull after a while. 
while you say that. I mean, that was the only bit that worked for the loops on me. Oh, Tom Cruise is dead again. (laughs) Do you know the bit that did make me laugh? And it's really kind of horrible. It's the one bit where, like, when he first tries to escape to go see Rita. And, like, basically he's got this whole plan where he kind of stops everyone mid-run, makes everyone start doing push-ups so that he can kind of, like, try and roll under the truck. But the first time he misjudges it, and just the little yelp he lets out. Yeah. See that and that just... that I found funny, yeah. And, and and the Bill Paxton reaction, and you get no uh, visuals or anything. You just yeah. get the yelp. <laughs> yeah. yeah, especially John. The most horrible part of that is because the timeline resets when Tom Cruise dies. Yeah. So when it cuts back to Bill Paxton, Tom Cruise is still technically alive, right? Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of Tom Cruise, I kind of mixed about him in this film because I I found it quite interesting at the start when he's doing his usual kind of Tom Cruisey stuff, but in a context where the character is actually supposed to be this really smug and smarmy, again just weasel of a man. And I found like, that quite interesting just in terms of he doesn't seem to be doing that much different than a usual Tom Cruise role. It's just interesting yeah. to see that kind of recontextualized to like how people feel about real life Tom Cruise. But again, like a lot of things in this film, I feel like it very quickly gets to a point where he's just Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise and about. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know. Uh... Uh, my main problem with Tom Cruise being in this film was it felt like he was too old for the role. It felt like that it, it should have been someone younger. It felt like it was a role for someone younger because the, the light novel, the main character in the light novel and in the manga, he's a teenager. It, it, like, he's a young adult, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's a teenager, yeah. but that's also because in kind of light novels and manga, there's literally not a single character over like 30 years old. No, there's plenty of them if you read the right one. Actually, no, no, no uh, sorry. But, you can be like teen to 30 and then wizened old man. That's how aging yeah. works. Yeah, that's how aging works in uh, light novels. and. Um, but yeah, uh, I felt like it should have been somebody kind of in their early 20s or mid 20s. So, And the whole kind of the whole reason why uh, the main character in the... Uh, in the light novel and the manga, gets involved with the wall, isn't it because uh, of an attack and then he lost his family or something like that, if I remember rightly? Uh, maybe. I'll admit it has been quite a while since I've seen it. Yeah. It just felt like uh, I mean, Tom, Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise's character, okay, I understand he's a media guy, everything like that, but if Europe has been conquered then it's and the whole world is fighting a war against these aliens, then I just can't... I can't, for the life of me, believe that he's got to be such a smarmy, sleazy character as to try and weasel his way out of something like that. Yeah. Uh, Did you know who I think... When the rest of the world is... Sorry, you were saying? No, no, you you go ahead and finish. Yeah, when the rest of the world is fighting this war, it's, you know, it's kind of... It it becomes implausible for him not to be indoctrinated in uh, in the war effort in some way. No, I don't, 
I don't think that's a problem. Yeah. I, I, th- I think you're right. He's probably too old. But yeah, in, even in wartime, um, well, any time of national emergency, you get it now, don't you? The people yeah. who are really blasé about COVID restrictions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you do get those people. You probably don't get them as ranking officers in the military mind. That's what. That's basically where I'm going with this. I, you know, his attitude kind of belies the fact that he's in the military. I can see a farmer or you know a businessman or someone like that having the attitude because yeah. they're I, not I fighting know, on the front also, lines. He's very specifically, the press team for the military. So, I, I imagine the point is he's not a guy who's actually ever seen like active combat. So it's maybe just yeah. a, like maybe he's from a bit of a well-off family. This is kind of a bit of a, a cushy job for him. Yeah, it, it mentions that he was part of the RTOC, which is the um, officer corps in uh, Ivy League universities and stuff. Yeah, and but colleges. yeah, but it's a time of global warfare. Even the RTOC wouldn't uh, wouldn't be left in the back lines. True. You know, um, that's that's how I'd view it anyway. But anyway, the other thing. That- the other thing that spoils, it, and I don't know whether they called it in the light novel and the the manga, but why are they called the mimics? I'll get to that because I did have one yeah. thing, um, which is because oh. while I was watching this film, and I think also because I've been watching another Tom Cruise film recently, in my mind it was like a really clear actor who I think would have been so much better as William Cage, and that's Simon Pegg, because I feel like he just he would have. It would have been more interesting to see him go from, because he is this very like skinny, dorky, like you can see every him. man, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. watching him like slowly turn into this like big action hero badass, I think that's more interesting than just watching Tom Cruise go from Tom Cruise, but a bit sleazy to yeah, just Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, that was that's exactly. I think you've just uh, highlighted the biggest, the big problem I had with with me saying he's you know he's too old. Should have been someone younger. Was that transition just wasn't believable? Because I'm so used to seeing Tom Cruise in movies like Mission Impossible and stuff like that. That watching him in, you know, Edge of Tomorrow, I'm like, yeah, it's Tom Cruise. He's action hero. We know him. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's not just that it's not believable; it's that it's not interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, it's like latter day Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, you know, like the Sixth Day and stuff like that. By that point, we'd already got used to being Arnold being the big action hero type person. So, like, oh, it's another Arnold action movie. Anyway, back to what you said, Mick, about the mimics. From what I remember in the um, in the manga, at least. They're called mimics because they can like take on the characteristics of the environment. That's that's right, Robbers. So they can make like yeah. sort of rocky hides and things. Yeah. Right. Well that, that doesn't really come across in the film. They just seem to burrow underneath stuff. That's because uh that's because the producers in Hollywood went, hmm, monsters from anime and manga, that means they've got tentacles, doesn't it? They're tentacle monsters, aren't they? They've been reading very specific mangas, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, I, I feel like you probably would have to change the mimics, at least from the manga, like quite a bit. Because in that, they're just like weird balls with like big mouths and sort of weird spindly 
spider-like things. Yep. But no, I, I don't like the design of the mimics in this, I think. like Because I, I really like the way they move, of just like weird kind of glooping about. But I think the design, it's just... It's very Transformers, isn't it? Where you just you don't really know what you're supposed to be looking at. Yeah. But I think that was one of the reasons for the design was that they're so alien. Um, um, what was it? Uh, I remember reading a thing from uh, with the uh, an interview with the author of the light novel when uh, Edge of Tomorrow was confirmed for production. And uh, he was talking about uh, his uh, inspiration for uh, the mimics and... Why he uh, why he described them in a in a particular way, and he was he referred back to uh, an earlier uh, anime series by uh, directed by Hide- Hideaki Anno called uh, Gunbuster, in which the space monsters were so completely alien to humans, and yet we were engaged in a war with extinction with these space monsters. There was no communication or anything like that. It was basically one side has to die. And he said that was what inspired him with the mimics, the fact that there could be no communication between humans and mimics. They were just completely alien to each other. It's tough because I do, I like things like that. But it's just also then watching this film, it, it does make the action scenes like a bit tough to watch sometimes. Mm. When you just, you're not sure, like, against that Transformers problem, what part of the screen am I currently supposed to be looking at? Because it's just this mass of tentacles. Yep. Again, you know, anime and manga monsters, they're just tentacle monsters, aren't they? Anyway, also, do you know what? Like, I think probably the big, one of the big things that annoys me that they left out from the book is that this idea the, the mimics like in the book the mimics are mostly bulletproof and that's why yeah. Vita uses like just a big axe instead yeah. and again and it's showing like she's been doing this for so long she's worked out like her own strategies and things that are going to work better like the idea yeah. that okay pouring a load of bullets is going to do next to nothing and then I'm out of ammo it's actually more effective just to use this big old battle axe to smash them apart Whereas in this, she just uses like a, I think it's like a helicopter propeller blade as a I sword. I think it's a rotor blade, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But it's just, it seems massively impractical because just the guns work fine. Just use those. See, again, this is one of the things that where, where it kind of, the, the point of something in the manga and the light novel gets lost in the movie the whole point of the exoskeletons, for example, is the fact that uh, is the fact that cold weapons work best against the mimics. Hot weapons don't really work because if you got guns and stuff like that, you don't really need mech suits, do you? Actually, yeah, that's a good point. The mech suits are redundant, aren't they? Like, exactly. You can just send in a bunch of novel sauce because the mech suits don't seem to do all that much in like terms of additional protection. Exactly. And just, you can fight the mimics with conventional weaponry. And it's easier to move with conventional weaponry if you're not encumbered by a mech suit. Yeah, that is. Actually, just a little side, but I will give Tom Cruise that. And I thought it was really good physical acting. Like when he's first yeah. in the mech suits. And it just really like, seems like this massive, awkward, lumbering metal thing. 
But yeah, but also... Yeah. Doesn't it, uh, that was quite good. What's the point in them? I mean, it's not like the army, is it, to waste a load of money on needlessly flashy <laughs> weapons? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, all this film needs is just like one scene of Brendan Gleeson going, it's in the budget. Yeah. Uh, I do think the mech suits look good, though. Oh, yeah, the mech suits yeah, look great. What they haven't tried to do is, is make them look like a sort of transformer, which I think is good. They, they look like something that's been knocked up in an engineering workshop rather than something that's been designed by, like, the head designer at Ferrari or something, which is a tendency in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's complicated enough. But again, unlike the mimics, not so complicated that it gets confusing as to what you're looking at. Yeah. Also, on that point that you just made about uh, Army not using its budget and or maybe using its budget too well, there was that Kelsey Grammer movie, The Pentagon Wars. From, uh, what was it? I think it was the early noughties, where, uh, the army, the US military is trying to develop this, uh, Bradley fighting vehicle, uh, which turns out to be a waste of billions and billions of dollars in design. Yeah, I mean, for what I understand, that's basically most of, like, real life army spending. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, for example, the army trying to build actual real life mech suits. Yeah, how's that going for him? <laughs> anyway, let's <sighs> see. Is it about time that I go through just why this plot is complete bobbins? Well, just before you do, I was just going to say the other thing that, that struck me about this film um, that I, I didn't like is that unlike some of the other live-action Manga animation, uh, manga adaptations that I've seen in yeah. recent years, like Ghost in the Shell and Alita, it's lost the aesthetic. It doesn't feel like you're watching an adaptation of uh, anything Japanesey. I it, think, I, I, it, I, I, yeah, sorry. It feels like an American action movie, and the, the DNA that ties it back to a manga or a light novel has been lost. I agree with you on that, but I think part of that was a conscious decision um, because, I mean, if you look at when this came out, it was 2014, wasn't it? Um, and at that point, we still didn't have, like, Ghost in the Shell. We still didn't have Alita. And I think the American market, that's what they were worried about, was the American and uh, European market not really going for something that was a manga, a, a manga or a light novel adaptation. Yeah, you know, anime still had somewhere to go before it would become like properly mainstream. It's probably uh, another four or five years before that was going to happen, and so they were, you know, they were treading water a little bit when they made those decisions. But I think they were conscious decisions. I don't think they it was simply uh, a whitewashing of things. I think they were just trying to make the movie as palatable to the Western audience as possible. I, and I get that, but there, I mean, one one of the things, you know. They made Ghost in the Shell so that it would be um, acceptable to, to mainstream yeah. audiences. And that was only, what, three, four years after this? Yeah, but... Uh, the, sa the, the same with Alita. Yeah, but the thing is, but the, a lot of things but, had changed. 
with the perception of anime and manga over the uh, but, you know globally, a lot of things had changed over those three or four years. Yeah, but the point is between even with those two movies coming out, Alita and, and Ghost in yeah. the Shell, there will have been hardcore manga fans going to watch them. I'm being upset. Yeah. Yeah, being upset, but they would, even the most hardcore that was, like, scathing of either of them, would have noted that the makers had paid some attention to the detail in the background. Just, it didn't have to be complete, I'm not talking that, you know. Yeah. Give it, giving, giving Tom Cruise Alita-style eyeballs or anything like that. I mean, what if they had them? <laughs> oh, God, no. No, 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 no. We'll, let's get rid of those Instagram and TikTok filters. We'll just put those to one side. The, but just little background details that just gives it that little... Yeah, know, I, I, I so get... That, so that a mainstream audience doesn't miss it, but those who know go, oh, I see what they've done there. I, I agree with you on that, but again, I think it's... One of the problems with uh, with this movie is that it's very much a product of its time and it it's not going to wage well. Um, when Alita and Ghost in the Shell came out, anime, and from a global stage, anime was a lot more mainstream, a lot more mainstream. A lot of things had changed. The Marvel movies had become, like, ultra, ultra mainstream. Everybody looked forward to the next Marvel movie, and so it became acceptable for manga and anime adaptations to be shown in the cinema. A lot of people who were fans of Ghost in the Shell didn't actually mind the, uh, the adaptation, the movie adaptation of it, they thought it was a bit weird, but they didn't actually mind it. And Alita, I've I've rarely heard complaints from uh, fans of the manga about the adaptation of Alita. I think they've said, look, it's the best it could have been. You know, there's no other way to do it. And so they're happy about it. Yeah, and I think... Because but... even, even, like, not just from the side of being a fan of this property and wanting it to be a faithful adaptation. Like, I've, yeah. I've seen Alita and Ghost of the Shell, and I'll admit both those movies I'm not the biggest fan of, but they undeniably, yeah. like, they have a really strong sense of, like, visual identity. Like, you can show me a screen grab from that film, from like, either of those yeah. films, and I'll know what it is. But yeah. I think Edge of Tomorrow, and I think it's, like, it's what Mix hit on the head with, is it just everything feels so like designed by committee and just yeah. nothing feels like it's a creative decision of anyone and it's just Which, what ends up being a, a very generic action movie. Yeah, um, um, and the, the other thing I would say is I think that actually from a design aesthetic perspective they could have made this look more like its source material in a subtle way or feel more like its source material because let's not forget you could quite easily turn around to someone who who was unaware of it and say Blade Runner, that's based on a manga because it feels like it could be yeah and we come back to one of the reasons why uh, why I initially said Tom, Cru- Tom Cruise's character, William Cage should have been played by someone much younger um, because there's little ways when you when you adapt something, there's little ways where you can actually, um, without changing 
the overall structure and uh, look of a particular thing, you can actually have a, have it little bits of nods to the original source material. Making his making him a younger actor would have been one of those ways, you know, because then there's things you can do and things you can't do with Tom Cruise in the lead role. You know, he's gonna him himself by you know by the nature of him being Tom Cruise, he's gonna be limiting certain things that you can do with the film. There's gonna be people on the committee behind this film going oh we can't do that tom cruise is too valuable we can't do that tom cruise is too valuable yeah of course then on the other side of that it is a tom cruise movie so you also have tom cruise saying nah but i think i'm just gonna jump off this building that was more directed yeah. Mission impossible fallout which i also watched, the, watched this week a film yeah. in which tom cruise you being double have you been double dipping Tom Cruise? I have double dipped Tom Cruise. It's it's been an experience. <laughs> I mean, at least Mission Impossible Four is a better experience. Yeah, because it's got Henry Cavill reloading his fists. <laughs> everyone, yeah, uh, everyone asks Henry Cavill to do that now. <laughs> it's. Basically, he reloads his fist. Yeah, basically, yeah. It's, it's like there's one scene in that where the kind of Henry Cavill and Tom Cruise are fighting a guy in a bathroom, and there's just a little bit where Henry Cavill's kind of walking up to him, and he kind of like shakes his fists, just like he's reloading them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone asks Henry. Every time Henry Cavill goes to like a convention or an interview or a fan meet or something like that. Everyone asks him to do it now. Right. I don't watch the Mission Impossible movies. I haven't seen a single one of them. Some of them are good. Yeah. I just, re- I just refuse to accept them because they're based on a beloved format in which a, a team take on a bunch of missions. Well, it is still a team taking on a bunch of missions. It's just Tom Cruise is uh, the front man for the team. He's like the face of the team. Except when he's wearing someone else's face. Yeah. But uh, I, I think that's one of the things that I like about the Mission Impossible, about the Impossible Mission. Sorry, the Mission Impossible movies. I think that's one of the th- things I like about them is the fact that they. You know, they can't actually, he can't actually do anything without the team being there. He's basically a useless person without the rest of the team. I'll admit, I don't like the way that all those movies are complete lies, though. Because actually, and I'll admit this is a big spoiler for this series, all their missions turn out to be possible. Yeah. I mean, that used to be the case for the series as well. Yeah, but well, I mean, that, that's the thing. I think Mission Possible but Extremely Difficult is not as catchy a title. Mission Improbable. <laughs> Mission Bit Tricky, this one, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Mission. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to come back Tuesday. <laughs> oh, uh, we can do it, but it's going to cost you extra. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mission, I don't like your chances. 
Anyway, now the now the main meat. Part of this film's absolute bobbins, isn't it? I mean, it do is. you know? Do you know the interesting thing is we haven't once mentioned um, Emily Blunt and her acting abilities in this film. <laughs> it's because you don't get to see any. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you get to I see mean, her being you get to see I, her being slightly annoyed, <laughs> but that's about it. I mean, she she's working with Tom Cruise, so. I mean, you do get well, to see that one repeating bit of footage of her just doing the worm. Yeah. Yeah. But she delivers everything deadpan, including the emotional bits. And I like Emily Blunt in all the stuff. I mean, I, th- I liked Girl on the Train and, and stuff like that. But Yeah. I think Emily Blunt's a great actress, you know, but this... Just didn't give her enough to work with, which is a shame because the light novel, you know, uh, <laughs> character in the light the, novel is has got so much more to work with. The the thing is, the problem. Emily Blunt has one expression during this movie, and it's the same expression every time you see her, and it it's an expression that says to you that her brain is going. I'm not sure which part of which loop I'm in. That was it. I remember now. Um, her uh, her character in the light novel uh, lied about her age to get into the military because her parents were killed by mimics and her nickname in the light novel. I don't know if they had that in the actual movie. I can't remember. Was she still called Full Metal Bitch in the movie? Yes. Yeah. It was largely spray-painted on many walls, Rob. Yeah, yeah. I remember now. And I on couldn't the remember bus that kept that kept going past Tom Cruise as he woke up. I couldn't. I couldn't remember because uh, I remember what people say more than I pay attention to the uh, to what's written. You see, the thing is, Rob, film is largely a visual medium. Yeah, with acting when people talk, speaking lines. Yes, but you can actually tell a story in filmic form without anyone speaking any dialogue. Yes, again. Familiar with it. <laughs> You're but supposed was... to drink in the visual details whilst people are talking. But the visual details in Edge of Tomorrow are all grey. Full Metal Bitch is written in red. Actually, I think it's yellow, isn't it? Because it's on a red I bus. think it varies. Actually, yeah, it might be red on the wall. Yeah. Anyway, this is important details. Just also important details. What? How come if Tom Cruise kills the Alpha first and the Alpha resets time when it dies, time doesn't just immediately reset when he makes the Claymore explode? Also, how come all those times that Tom Cruise gets horribly eviscerated by mimics and they get splattered in his blood, how come they don't get time travel powers I think maybe they'll have weak time travel powers, so maybe they can, you know, they can uh, see like maybe thirty seconds in the future or one second in the future. How come but they can't actually affect time? How come? Bear in mind, how, I mean, I know that there are a significantly lower number of alphas than there are general mimics, but how come there are only two people in this massive global conflict that have been hit by alpha blood? 
See, that's that's a thing that never gets addressed. And again, it's uh, if I remember rightly, there was a conversation between uh, the characters in the manga about that, uh, about that specifically. How come it's just us two? Is there no one? Is there no one else? Well, so at least in the manga, it's just I don't know. We can time travel because some weird stuff with brain waves. Like I think this film yeah. it tries to explain it too much. Yes, and in doing so, yeah. makes you realize, oh, that doesn't make sense at all. That's not how blood transfusion works. <laughs> it, 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 it's J.K. Rowling all over again. Um. <laughs> Are you allowed to mention her name on podcasts these days? I, I think you can, just as long as afterwards you go... Ooh. Also, <laughs> if Tom Cruise travels back in time to before he gets splattered with alpha blood, dog, dog and he then there, gets Andrew, hit by do- a truck before he fights the alpha again, Surely that should mean he wouldn't have the time travel power anymore. Yeah, I just said you don't want to go there. But I did go there. And going there, <laughs> oh, I, I, I know. That's why I said don't go there, Andrew. As soon as you started speaking, I thought, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. The bit that made my brain hurt. I don't want to talk about it. No. <laughs> uh, and this is why you need Bill Murray. A good to healthy dose of Bill Murray, no matter how old, would gloss over all of this. S- Bill Murray could have been the third person who goes through time loops. Him and the groundhog. So does that make the groundhog an alpha? Well, I mean, can you imagine if by that point Bill Murray had basically mastered space and time, if Groundhog Day never ended, uh, all the way up until Edge of Tomorrow, and he just suddenly appears on the battlefield with the groundhog going, everything stop. And <laughs> says to Tom Cruise, "You come with me." He's like cosmic Bill Murray. I mean, so basically, what you're pitching just, is have, Bill Murray as Doctor Who. Yeah, but I mean, have I just made Edge of Tomorrow it's better? Been, yeah, it's been pitched. It's been pitched to before Bill Murray is Doctor Who. Yeah, and yeah, I think that, I've just made Edge fine. of Tomorrow better, haven't I? You have indeed, but I would I would argue maybe it's not that difficult to make Edge of Tomorrow better. <laughs> no. Do you know how I managed it? I pressed the stop button. <laughs> yeah. Actually, oh. so, talk about pressing the stop button. God, I wish I'd pressed the stop button like just a little bit before the ending. Because I hate the ending yeah. of this film so much. Oh, the smarmy, the smarmy grin on Tom Cruise's well, face the, when he sees Emily Blunt again. Fact of, no, that's, that's, just, that's just Tom Cruise. Yeah, but just the whole fact of Tom, yeah, like he manages to blow up the Omega, and for some reason he gets to like go back in time to, like the start of the film, not even like the bit where his time loop was starting, just the start of the film. But and also now the Omega's dead and everyone's still alive and it's all fine, mad now. And that's the bit that really pissed me off the most, right? Uh, you've you've hit the nail on the head completely and that bit really made me angry because I thought okay it'd be great he's killed the Omega that's it right you can reset time but don't have him there 
He's gone completely. He's uh, his existence is effectively gone. He's no longer part of any of this. Yeah. So he could be still doing his press thing or whatever. He's not going to meet Emily Blunt or anything like that. Nobody knows what happened. Not even him. That that entire timeline has been uh, is over with, done with, and you're back at the beginning. But no, they've got to have him back at the beginning with all his memories intact because Hollywood loves that sort of ending. And uh, like you utter, 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 you basically removed every single kind of cohesive cost, you know, that the protagonist has to pay in order to achieve the outcome. You've destroyed your narrative structure. Yeah, with like this. literally that whole final act where like Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, and all of J Squad sacrificed themselves to to kill the Omega. That's all yeah. entirely pointless because they all just get brought back by yeah. time travel. Yeah, exactly. And like, I definitely do not care about any of the characters enough for, for, to want that to happen. Like, at best, and my feelings for J-Squad are, oh, look, it's Tony Way and uh, Charlotte Riley. I recognise them from things that I've seen before. You know why they're called J-Squad, don't you? Because they're a joke, because they're the wacky ones. I assume. They call them J-Squad because the source material is from Japan. Oh, that's it. That's the one thing to negate my point from earlier, is it? No. Yeah, there you go. We take it all back. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that. I'm saying. I'm saying that I mean, as we... a condemning thing, not as a not as a supportive thing. It's a condemning the, thing. The, the the thing about the J Squad is they could have been as much fun as the Marines in Aliens, or yeah. you know the supporting cast of of so many movies. You know Ant Man's little um, entourage that he has. Yeah, or 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 to reference Bill Murray again, why not just have the platoon from Stripes? <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, they they so desperately want to be that, don't they? Just like the the little cast of characters that you kind of get to know over the course of the film, and then it's it's quite sad when they all get killed off. But they're just yeah, they, they just I, I mean, don't have enough to ever become that. Yeah, literally, I think the one remarkable thing about them is, do you know how there's that one vaguely Eastern European member whose name is never said on screen. Yes. Joey's called in the credits. What? His name is spelt K U N T Z. And now you know why it wasn't said on screen. But even then, I don't care that he dies. Also, it is just, it's one of my personal bugbears and why I always hate time travel stuff like this is that every single time they go to great length to establish no these are the very like hard set rules this is how time travel works right up until the point where just suddenly it doesn't work like that anymore yeah and And why doesn't it work like that anymore because film exactly because it's narratively convenient for it not to but no, you either if you are doing time travel, you either be dark, as in the, the Netflix TV series, where you spend every single episode 
meticulously explaining the logic behind every single decision. Or you'd be Doctor yeah. Who, where it's just time travel. I don't know, we're in Rome now, we're on a spaceship. How does it work? Who cares? Or, 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 I'm going to throw the curveball. Or you'd be Quantum Leap, where he's desperately trying to get home but changes too many things and ultimately can't, because that's how time travel works. I mean, I feel like that, that probably goes more towards like the dark end of the spectrum, doesn't it, with the... Actual yeah, but the thing is, they didn't need. Yeah, they didn't need to explain it though. I think the final episode of Quantum Leap, and this is a spoiler for anyone who's not watched it, but the final episode was uh, Al, who's stuck with him all the way through this journey, um, has witnessed the different changes in the timelines from the future where he is. But ultimately, what Sam has to do is go back and change Al's past, and that then ultimately means he doesn't become part of the Quantum Leap project. Nothing ever gets made, and and Scott Bakula's character effectively closes the door to his timeline permanently. He ends up in uh, he ends up in a diner in the that doesn't exist but exists, and meets a guy who is basically God. You know he's God, and he can't go anywhere from there until he reemerges as uh, the captain of Enterprise. Yeah. But that's just sci-fi, sci-fi actor trading. You know, it happens in sci-fi shows all of the time. And look at, uh, you know, uh, look at Stargate SG-1. Nicking characters from various other places. Anyway, enough tangential rambling. I, I think we have now... <laughs> Which is the name of a new podcast that's coming to you. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we could probably just like, take I think... all the outtakes from everything else we do and just make another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Got rambling. I think the fact that we've got so much tangential rambling on this episode is a testament to just how dull Edge of Tomorrow is. Yeah. So yeah, so I think it is time to rank Edge of Tomorrow on our list of comic book adaptations, ranging from Rota Edition at number one, to 1990s Captain America at number 20. I'll be honest, I hate this more than 90s Captain America. Unfortunately, it does have a bit where Tom Cruise's mech suit talks to him in Japanese because the manga's from Japan, so it has to be number one. (laughs) That's, That's actually one of the reasons I hate it more than Captain America is... The fact that all of the nods to its Japanese origins were so slight and condescending. I um I think I think it goes just above Captain America because it has got something that Captain America hasn't. Special effects? A budget. <laughs> But the but Captain America has that has that weird grin with the thumb up. <laughs> and Edge of Tomorrow doesn't. Which is another thing in its favour. Also, at no point during the film does anybody display a latex ear as part of their costume. Okay, I I, I will I will agree to being just above Captain America, but only just. Ooh, see, I don't... Can we can we have can we put it in at nineteen point five? <laughs> That doesn't deserve a full place above Captain America, just half a place. <laughs> yeah. Although, although, actually, I think you know, if if we found if we found enough bits of it that we 
uh, liked, didn't mind, hated, we could potentially, because of the nature of the film, have it at number 10, number 15, and number 19. Yeah, pretty... Like, do we need to rank it based on all the different time loops in Edge of Tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously... The, the time loop where Tom Cruise accidentally gets himself run over by a truck. That goes in at number two, just under road to perdition. Hang on. Wasn't there a time loop where he where he was supposed to move his mech in a certain way, but failed and then ultimately like twisted his spine off? Where his mech suit, the bottom half rotated one way, the top half rotated the other. I don't think so. There were so film? many loops. <laughs> so, anyway... The, the problem is, I, I don't know if we're forgetting, our number 19 is Ang Lee's Hulk. And I, I don't know if Edge of Tomorrow is worse than Ang Lee's Hulk. Because I feel like it's ultimately, it's mostly fine. But yeah, Ang Lee's Hulk uh, is also it's, 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 ambitious it's, and just quite badly misses the mark. It quite badly misses the mark, but I mean, if you didn't know that Edge of Tomorrow was based on a manga based on a light novel, right? If you didn't know that, would it even be in the list? I, I well, no. no, but then that, that kind of has to be the qualifier, that it's an adaptation. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that, that's my point. Um, with Ang Lee's Hulk, it's very, you're very clear that it's a comic book adaptation. It wears its heart on its sleeve, which is a plus point for me. As much as it's not a great movie, it's a plus point that it does try to capture that Emulate. comic book. It yeah. does try to capture that comic book aesthetic, whereas Edge of Tomorrow just ignores all of that completely. That's a fair point, and there's a phrase I never thought I'd use on this podcast. See again, I just I don't yeah. know because kind of to go through the bottom of our list, we've got the Birds of Prey TV series at number seventeen. Titan Season 2 at 18, Ang Lee's Hulk at 19, and then Captain America at 20. And those those ones I would describe as definite kind of stinkers. Like, Edge yeah, of Tomorrow, I'd maybe put this around is also... about the same place as Lock and Key. Because <sighs> Edge of Tomorrow, at least, I feel like it's fairly competent. It's just... Not that interesting. It's fairly competent as an 80s action movie. Yeah. Which is a shame because it's about 24 years, to, 34 years too late to be an 80s action movie. That's what. That, no, sorry. Let me let me let me requalify. It shouldn't have been a young person. It should have been Arnold. Just put Arnold in the lead role. <laughs> you do realise that. It, one of our listeners is going to reface this <laughs> once I've heard this podcast. Yeah. Um, right. I. Th- What's at number 15, Andrew? Number 15 is Lock and Key Season 1. Right. This is definitely worse than Lock and Key Season 1. Yes. Um, what's that, 16? 16 is Titan Season 1. And yeah, I would... I would Actually, I'd definitely put it below season one of Titans. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say it. My 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 rule of thumb for these rankings is, if my life depended on it, 
and someone gave me these as options, what am I more likely to want to watch again? And I would say season one of Titans above Yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. What was 17? Seven, was yeah, it the Birds of Prey TV Birds series? Birds of Prey the TV series. Again, I'd probably rather watch that. Yeah. <laughs> 18 was Titan season two, wasn't yeah, it? Again. Oh, no, see, Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, I, if my I'd life depends. I'd Titan season two. For, faced, faced with the fact that my life depends on it, watching a season of anything is better than watching this film because that this only buys me two hours. <laughs> yeah, we, we have maybe encountered a slight flaw with your system then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess. Uh, I'll be honest, I would prefer watching Titan Season 2 to watching Edge of Tomorrow again. Even though Titan Season 2 was a train wreck, it's still more interesting than Edge of Tomorrow. But I, I will say, okay, the kind of... Uh, I'm kind of caught as to whether it's better or worse than Hulk. So I'll go with whatever yeah. you guys decide on this. I'm happy with it being above Hulk or below Hulk. As long as it stays around Ang Lee's Hulk, the two of them can just be off in the corner, making, making friends uh, with okay. each other. I feel like maybe... Kind of, as an average consensus to get kind of the most agreement out of all of us, Edge of Tomorrow will put that as number 19, just above Angie's Hulk. Cool. I'm happy with that. Yeah. And there we have it. We've done it. We've ranked it. Our time loop is now broken. We should publish it somewhere, that list. We should publish it. I, I should look into that. If only we had some kind of online web presence in which such a thing could be posted. Indeed. We do. Tell us more. Well, isn't that Andrew's job? <laughs> it is, <Somebody's> yes. <laughs> I'm old. I'm old. I forget it from week to week. So you know, not, I'm not no. much younger than you. <laughs> God, it was going so well, wasn't it? <laughs> anyway, that's about it from us. So, if you do want to listen to more, you can find all our old episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. You can also listen to our other podcast, the Comics Review Show 4 panel, over on the Geek Show Podcast Network. And if you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you are a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you did leave us a review on your podcast app of choice or just recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and to reach new listeners. So, uh, with that, that's everything. And until next time, I've been Andrew. I've been Mick. And I've been Rob. So long, and thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to Behold. <laughs>